There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of our outdoor pursuits. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. This is Brian, and tonight I've got good buddy Chad, who you know, and then two awesome guests. We've got Allie again with us. She was on before uh, a previous episode talking about the Backcountry Bonk and talking about some crazy Backcountry adventures that she does. And then we've got Andrew. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to immediately just toss it over to you two guys to share your story. You can kind of introduce yourselves in your initial contact with the outdoors. So which one of you guys wants to go first? All right, Allie. All right, I will get started. So um, I'll keep it short since I kind of did this on the last episode, but I am originally from the Driftless region of Northeast Iowa and grew up on kind of a small um, cattle ranch with lots of timber reserve and kind of grew up in the woods. And um, I think basically from a really young age, kind of lived my life outdoors, but um, started ultra running and trail running about a decade ago. And that's been kind of a springboard for all kinds of backcountry uh, adventures since then. So um, I do everything from skiing and fat skiing and uh, paddling, fast packing and trail running. And just pretty much you'll find me outside on the weekend. So. Um, and then Andrew is my other half or two thirds if you're going on like organic matter volume. Um, and That's what we're going on. Did you we're just going. call me fat? <laughs> We've been married for two Come and on, half do years. the math. You should know this. I, I know I hesitated. Two and a half years or so. I know we do a lot of stuff together too. I'm Andrew Vavra. Uh, other than a short stint out in the Seattle area, I'm pretty much born and raised uh, in the Twin Cities metro area of uh, Minnesota. Um, you know, my upbringing was centered around Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. Uh, nice. that, that's probably where I got my, my first real addiction to the outdoors. I just love being outside first and foremost with friends. I love being in an environment where playing with fire and knives was encouraged. <laughs> um, that sounds like a great yeah, environment. Like five knives right by <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's a few to the pick from there. If you yeah, want. and they're, they're beautiful pieces too. So I'm, I'm eyeing those up. Um, but yeah, just that's where I kind of uh, got introduced to camping and, and self-reliance. Um, learning how to stay outdoors for a prolonged period of time as a, as a young kid uh, gave me a lot of confidence to just go tackle more outdoor experiences. Um, you know, I couple that with having a father who is a, a biology major from the U of M who uh, grew up in rural Minnesota and is absolutely obsessed with, with hunting of all types. I just wanted to grow up to be like him. Uh, I, I remember coming home to him having, you know, handfuls of geese and me just being like so enthralled with it and just wanting to be like, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to go in the next one. And uh, sure, sure enough, uh, my first hunt ever went on was a wood duck hunt in Delano. And I was wearing, you know, this oversized old military surplus jacket and a little little tub hat. And I, I still have the old uh, Holt call um, that I use to this day. Um, and that was like my first real hunt. And how old were you? Uh, I was younger than 12 because I couldn't pull the trigger. Um, so from there, I I pretty much grew up to become an obsessive waterfowl hunter. 
Cool. Um, I was the guy who chose his college based on hunting opportunities. <laughs> so I, I went to St. John's Man. University. Uh, me and my buddies had our duck boats in tow. We were those guys. Um, and then from there, uh, my, my journey took me to an internship at Pheasants Forever. Okay. Um, and so now, 11 years later, I'm still with Pheasants Forever. I'm the director of marketing. Uh, I've kind of transitioned from a hardcore waterfowler to a hardcore bird dog upland hunter who still likes to find time to chase deer, chase turkeys, chase trout. Um, so I guess if I had to summarize myself you know, pretty quickly, I'd say my, my summers are spent in a canoe uh, with a paddle in my hands and my falls are spent following my, my two bird dogs. Awesome. That sounds like a great life. Yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm <laughs> lucky great. enough to have, to have a wife that yeah. not only tolerates it, but likes to come along too. So totally. It's, it's pretty Can great. we back up a second? So I know I made a fat joke already, but Andrew played football <laughs> in college. Okay. And oh, actually, you're going to out At St. John's? St. Yeah. John's. And do you know what? Wow. Not, well, you, you, yeah, just wait. Just you wait. won't okay. hear about his name anywhere because how old what were you, a sophomore? Uh, it, was, it was my sophomore year. Um, I, I wasn't... <laughs> good enough at that time to be on the traveling squad so it was the the end of the season uh we were in the playoffs per usual and i knew i wasn't going to be traveling and we had an inner squad scrimmage coming up for all the people who are staying behind um and that happened to coincide with deer opener and okay. so i i asked i asked my uh my defensive coordinator if i could skip the inner squad scrimmage to go be a part of deer opener because i've never i've never missed one through all the sports i've played and all that i've always managed to be at deer camp um, he was sympathetic to me. He got it. He gave me the blessing. When I came back <laughs> afterwards, my D-line coach was irate. He was looking for me on tape, couldn't find me, felt foolish that I wasn't there, and he thought I just skipped out. And that's where he and I just decided to uh, part ways, if you will. <laughs> and uh, oh, I, I, I've been focusing on hunting ever he since. He got kicked off the football team. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> D-line, too. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what, though. That's, right. that's dedication. That's dedication <laughs> to hunting. You're the man. Nice work. Well, when it comes to something that's sustainable for there the you rest go. of your life, right. I mean, I, yeah. I've already been concussed a few times, as, as you know, my wife will attest to, so I, I probably had enough of that in my time. Yeah. I work in concussion rehab. Is that how you guys met? No, no. Oh. He actually doesn't, he doesn't really show signs of that, as far as I can tell. Okay, good, good, good. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, we're really glad to have you guys joining us, and we're going to get into some cool topics. So with that, Chad... Uh, take it away, my yeah, man. Yeah, I, I guess since it's fall, and we probably should just focus on that first, um, let's talk about hunting. Um, obviously, deer camp just ended. Allie, are you part of deer camp? No, um, I haven't really taken it. I'm still kind of easing my way into the upland world right now. Sure. So, no, I was not a part of that. Okay. But, yeah. It's, it's not to say that, that she won't be in the future, and by that I mean that I happened to marry into some acreage in Iowa. And so I, I know that my access to this acreage is, is through her. So I'm hoping eventually uh, uh, she'll see the light and, and uh, want to participate in that. Um. <laughs> I mean, I can scout with the best of them, so I can point to like where you should put your deer stand. But <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, it's been an interesting kind of uh, introduction to the upland world for, for her. You know, I'm a diehard uh, upland hunter, as I, I said earlier. And, uh, for me, I, I approach this as, you know, she's my best friend. I want her out there. And I actually got some pushback from, from other people when I kind of hinted at that, well, I want my wife to be involved. And they're like, really? I mean, isn't it kind of like your guy time? You can get out there and just get away from it all. And it's, 
yeah, you still have time for your guy trips. But in my mind, it's like every time she's with me and is, is rearing to go and she does have that genuine passion, mm-hmm. that's just an extra trip I get. Right. Totally. So you guys right. are all stuck at home doing chores. I'm still out there. Totally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but this year was a special year for, for you in, in general in terms of what, what you accomplished earlier. Um, Like the so, timber doodle? Mm-hmm. Is that what we're yeah, talking exactly. about? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I got about. a timber doodle. Very proud of myself. Nice. Yes. Yep. So so we were... We were uh, Grouse and woodcock hunting outside of the Ely area, just right on the edge of the Boundary Waters. Okay. Um, we were actually doing a little pre-scouting for a Boundary Waters uh, hunt that I was going to do later uh, that year with uh, BHA and uh, Sportsman for the Boundary Waters. Cool. Okay. Um, and so we just happened to, to nail uh, the, the woodcock migration, you know, right at peak. And I wasn't even by you. Like, how, how'd that even... Uh, that particular shot? Yeah. Well, um, so... If we back up a little bit, you know, we scouted like on Onyx and um, just kind of explored the area a little bit. And so this was my spot. I would just like to point that out. So, so I picked this one. And then um, it just so happens that Bob St. Pierre like also picked that one. And we not no one had ever seen it. So he went in and um, he had like checked it out the night before. And it was like you guys like i mean how many did he say he flushed in like an hour i think he was up to 30 within an hour yeah and so a little background bob st pierre is my boss he's, he's a vp of marketing at pheasants forever and quill forever and he's got two dialed german short hair pointers and he's, okay. a, he's a grouse nut he's from the up if, if you introduce yourself is you know is the next words you're oh say yeah to the upa you know so he's, 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 he's one of those guys it's, it's absolutely fantastic and he's one of the the best upland hunters that I know, and he's someone who actually mentored me into it because I started as a duck hunter, not knowing anything other than a mixed breed dog with a, a you know a rope dragging behind it is kind of how I grew up because it wasn't even trained enough to actually like know what it was doing. Let's actually rewind back to that because I think that might be a good starting point, um, and then we can maybe ease into to Allie and mm-hmm. how you've transitioned um, into becoming an upland hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think. I grew up in the upland world specifically doing everything wrong. Um, my dad always wanted, you know, a bird dog, but my mom wasn't about paying that much money. And so he just kept on bringing home, you know, shelter dogs and trying to do the best he could. You know, oh, this one's like part shepherd, part lab. It's got lab in it. Maybe we can yeah. like figure out what's going to go on. And, and it, it never... If it's a lab, it can hunt birds, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. It just, it just never quite worked out. So like I have vivid memories of being in southeastern Minnesota, which isn't a hotbed in general, but... You know, it was close enough to home to where he could drag the kid out and, and get get me back home before I became an absolute monster. And so, you know, we just had this untrained dog that he's trying to train that, you know, it's got like the 30-foot check cord that he's trying yeah. to hold on to. And the dog had no idea what was going uh, going on, you know. There were a few times where I saw that the actual cord, you know, rip over the grass and then the bird gets up from that. And like, so that was <laughs> upland hunting to me. Oh, and, man. you know, so cool lining the bird. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, so you, you, you take that and you compare it to sitting in a duck blind, you know, next yeah. to your dad and his friends and you being handed a call and being able to mess around with that, even though you're probably flaring ducks from 100 yards away and being all camoed up and you kind of feel like you're in the army and, you know, so it was very easy for me to gravitate towards, you know, the duck world. Um, so it really took me taking a flyer on uh, an internship with Pheasants Forever, fully knowing that I'm not an upland hunter, but I am a conservationist. Uh, I was a member of the Ducks Unlimited chapter of St. John's. 
Um, so I, I knew the importance of wildlife habitat and, and giving back to the resources that you're taking from. And I just figured, well, I'm a diehard hunter. I know this is kind of a hunting organization. I need a job. It's 2008. I'm not getting a Ooh, real job. Yeah. So I'm cool living with my parents and being an intern <laughs> and, and working for free, you know, that type of thing, right? Uh, and, and so from there, I, I was you know, lucky enough to be taken under you know, Bob St. Pierre's wing, and he happened sure. to have a dialed-in GSP. And the first time I saw a true bird dog work and lock up, I was like, oh, <laughs> Oh, this is this is this is what this is how you do this. This dog knows what it's doing. (laughs) Holy cow! And and it'll bring it back. Are you serious? And so, like that, completely changed my my uh, my tune when it came to what I was interested in. And you know, I still joke about who's dumb enough to give a twenty three year old a puppy. So, like, I went out and and got a a yellow lab pup when I was twenty three. You know, I, I think from college on, I'd moved every single year for, for like eight years in a row, downtown Minneapolis. I'm, I'm trying to raise a bird dog in an urban setting, <laughs> dealing with all these, you know, kind of schmucks and dog parks that are just destroying everything around, around me. I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I, I can do this. But luckily, you know, she was a smart enough lab where she kind of trained herself and we made it through it. I made a lot of mistakes and she put up with those mistakes and, uh, you know, just, Seeing her light up in the uplands is what kind of prevented me from spending more time in the duck blind. Like we all know how much work it takes to get a dog steady in a blind, you know, because nobody wants the whining dog that just won't stop whining the entire hunt. Nobody wants the dog that's a hundred yards behind you and the cattails looking, looking for, you know, coots and whatever, when (laughs) the ducks are coming in in front of you. Right. And so it takes a lot of patience and a certain type of intelligence and drive for those dogs to succeed. She didn't want any of that. She, she just wanted to run through the uplands and, you know, who am I to say no? So Bob took you out. Yeah. So, so, so Bob took me out quite a bit. He made some mistakes as a mentor. Um, I'll fully, I'll fully admit that. And he knows it. Um, can you I, share those? Yeah, or is I'll, it too I'll, 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 I'll share okay. one. So, I mean, he was kind enough to take me to his grouse camp in the UP sure. um, as, as a really young guy. And, you know, some people think of grouse hunting as walking hunter trails or gravel roads and, you know, just hoping that something kind of flushes out in an open patch right. in front of you. Um, no, that's not how Bob does this. He's through the, the heart of the forest. He's crashing through the thick stuff. He's going through deadfalls and burns. And he's he's kind of a shorter guy. I don't think he'll get offended at me saying this. So I'm watching him dart and weave through the forest. You know, like he's like liquid, just like following his dogs. <laughs> and, I, and I'm 6'4", 240 at the time, just like trying to crash my way through and not poke my eye out. And, you know, I'm, I'm just like hunting sounds at this point. You like, it's just like, I'm not even seeing anything. <laughs> Do you remember that scene from like Lord of the Rings where the ends come? And yes. you like see the tops of the trees. Yes. Like that's Andrew moving through crosswoods. Like the entire woods shake. Okay. So it, 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 that's a good visual. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was. It was cool because that was my first experience. I'd consider backcountry hunting. Um, I know it's not backcountry in the sense of being out west and chasing elk or like you know being up on the range or anything like that. But we're literally in the middle of a giant national forest in the UP. Yeah. Um, there's there's no roads, no trails, and I'm just putting all my faith in him. But at the same time, it's like I'm struggling to walk, let alone being ready to shoot if something were to get up. And I just kind of like it's like if this is what it is, like. I guess I'm a prairie rat. I'll, 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 stick, I'll stick to the grasslands. Yeah. I like to watch my dog. I like to see what gets up. I don't want to just like hear a sound and saw off, you know, an aspen, you know, 20 yards away. It's like, I, I, I can, I can be fine not doing this. 
And uh, so that kind of turned me off from grouse hunting for a long time. But uh, this past year, Allie and I got a French Brit. And so that's my first pointing dog. And uh, to be able to let him loose, you know, starting in September, you know, because the season starts earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have the money or the time to go way west, just chase sharp tails or any of the prairie grouse. Well, Minnesota is like top notch when it comes to grouse hunting. So I kind of yeah. owed it to him. And yeah, I guess owed it to myself a little bit to try it again. Um, and I guess what Bob didn't tell me is it's a lot more fun when you're following your dog versus just being a random guy walking through the woods. Sure. Um, so actually being able to see my dog just, you know, cut through the forest like a, like a ghost and somehow not get hurt. Uh, it's just like phenomenally like awe inspiring. Um, oh. so that's definitely kind of turned me back on to, to the grouse woods as well. So it's, we can all have good and bad mentor kind of experiences, uh, Hopefully that they're hopefully they're not bad enough to turn you off forever though. But it shows you the power of a good dog, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember my dad did the same thing to me as a kid. <laughs> He'd take me through deadfalls and just the worst of worst bogs, and I'm just like, I'm not getting any flushes, and all I can hear is just flushes right by him. Just, <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> This sucks. I hate grouse hunting. But then when you have a dog that works for you, works as a team, and then you really have that that connection of, okay, this is actually what grouse hunting is, or this is what woodcock hunting actually is. That's like that's an addiction then. Oh, but until then, it's yeah. I was and if I were to bring someone out, and I've told people this, if you're coming out. You're hunting right next to me, and that's what we kind of did with Jeff too. In this, uh, we went we went duck hunting, and then in the afternoon we went walking for grouse and woodcock. But I tried keeping Jeff about ten yards away from me because my dog will work, you know, fifteen twenty yards right in front of me, and anything off that edge, he can get a shot off, and he actually did get. Uh, a woodcock, but yeah, I mean, I would put in hindsight, I would have even said, Jeff, why don't you just walk right in front of me? Just, I don't even need to shoot. Yeah. This is your hunt. Yeah. yeah. And putting that aside. So anyway, um, all right. So this year you got, um, a pup first year for the pup then. So we, we adopted, uh, it's kind of a sad story. He, uh, he's three now. We, we adopted when he was two, his, uh, owner was was elderly and he passed away and uh the widow just didn't know what to do with him um so we we were told that you know he might be started he might not be I, he's oh, been yeah. on a hunting trip she just didn't know a lot about anything so he needed a good home we went and met with her met him and nobody sees a dog and says no right um, right <laughs> so so we so so we brought him home and uh, i spent uh all all summer uh every wednesday up by uh, malax um, at one of the few areas where we can actually train during the summer with him and a, and a group of other gentlemen who know a lot more than me. And I was just trying to learn the ropes and how to train this dog. Um, and so I did that. And then knowing where where my knowledge ends and this dog deserves more, uh, we went on a, a two-week canoe trip in Canada. And mm-hmm. so I knew I'd have to board him anyway. So I sent him to a trainer down in Kentucky for a while. And it just became apparent to... Uh, 
everyone involved that this was going to be his first real season. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. He, he he might be three, but in, in, in like Coach Fleck speak for like all the Gopher fans <laughs> yes. out there, this, this is his year zero. So <laughs> so we're, we're 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 basically starting with a with a new dog here. Um, you know, and it's it's been fun. It's been frustrating. Uh, the biggest challenge for me is trying to decide when do I let the old dog I trust out and when do I let the new dog out. Um, because I want to give him the prime conditions, but I also want to find a bird, and I have all yeah. the faith in the world and the old lab, and he's still a little knucklehead. Yeah. So now it's just kind of balancing, is this for me? Is it for them? Um, and, you know, you kind of have to you have to think about that, too, when, when you're, you're mentoring new hunters. It's like yeah. You have, you have to take a step back and say, what what is this hunt really about? Is yeah. it about putting a, a bird in, in my game bag, or is, is it about you know, setting up, you know, either the dog or the new hunter for success and a good time. And totally, I guess to put Allie on the spot, I, we haven't really talked a lot about this. I'm curious in terms of how you feel I onboarded you as an upland hunter. Cause I know, I know, <laughs> I'm wondering if we're going to have the same that. answer. I know one of my biggest mistakes, like what that was the, the first season that we started pheasant hunting, which was the last year. Mm-hmm. Well, should we start there? Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, uh, first of all, something that I, that I did, it was an opportunity that just fell in my lap that was incredibly helpful. So like anyone who's learning late in life as an adult, like whether or not you're going with a spouse, like this is great advice, but, um, there's like a, a group of women and one of them worked with Andrew at PF and she had kind of recently learned to hunt herself. So all of like the nuts and bolts and like the language to describe, all of the like the pieces of shooting were fresh in her head and I think that like I know this just like my dad was always like this like he had a hard time explaining much of anything because he everything had been so intuitive for him so like Andrew started shooting probably at I don't know 10 11 11, 12 somewhere in there and it becomes like muscle memory and I doubt as an adult that you remember like put your feet like this lean forward, like raise, you know, I don't, I'm sure you know that stuff intuitively, but to actually explain it, I think it would be hard for you. The less I think, the better I shoot. So I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, you know. That seems like across the board, that's what makes it hard right. is when you've done some of these things since you were really young to then be put on the spot to explain what you're doing. And it's like you say, the, the, the more you think about it, it's for me too, the same thing. The more I think about it, the worse I am. This past weekend, I I did a a youth hunt and a lot of the kids, because they're all bundled up, they're like, yeah, that last group of mallards that came in, I couldn't get my gun up properly. (laughs) I was like, well, I know that it's kind of hard to do it now, but think about this when you're practicing mounting your gun, which you should be doing every night as a kid, because then it's just muscle memory, is the Churchill method where it's almost like a piston. You pop it out and pop it in. And then pop it back out, um, which I, I guess the guests aren't going to really see that. But really, it's it's like a piston. You pop it out, um, full extension, then drop it back into your shoulder. That way, there is no getting caught up on your mm-hmm. uh, clothing or anything mm-hmm. like that. But um, as as person that's starting out, that's where you're probably going to get right. that advice. Where right. if we're learning that, no way are we going to... We would need... Uh, about five years of coaching in order for us to 
I guess, get that. Right, so. right. Yeah, it's it's just, I think it's really hard when you are, when you learned intuitively, it's like learning a language as a kid, right? You didn't, none of us thought about learning English. It just happened. Right. And I think starting shooting, it's just, unless you can vividly remember the coaching you had, or you have access to a coach, or you've spent a lot of time thinking about how to break down those steps, I think it's a tough thing. So, so yeah, I, I shot with this group of, of women, like we just shot rounds of trap and um, just got used to not shutting our eyes and, you know, just shooting straightaways and nothing fancy and just raising the gun, shooting straightaways, pulling off the safety, muzzle control, just like the, all of the really um, very basic things for everyone in this room. But it was all totally foreign to me. And, sure. and what that did is it gave me enough um, confidence to, I guess feel like I'm safe in the field. Yeah. And that was like the biggest thing, just the intimidation factor. I don't feel unsafe out there. I know how to carry it. I know how to like, I'm, my safety's always on. I know how to raise it, you know, and then all the other things that come after that, where I put my feet, checking to make sure it's a rooster, like, you know, all that other <laughs> stuff that'll come later. You yeah. know? So, um, that was super helpful. So that's kind of where my, my mentee journey, um, started. So the first time we went out in the field was, was it opener? Did we go out on, for opener last year? We did two years ago. Uh, I don't know if that yeah, was... Yeah, we went out for opener. Okay, yeah, we did. Yeah, we drove out to Western Minnesota. Um, it was busy. Uh, that kind of was like a little unnerving for me as a noob. Like, I just sort of felt like, God, there's a lot of people around. Like, right. So oh, little, yeah. Yeah, okay. some I, people, I remember a story of, about that Yeah, now. some people next door kicked up a deer that like ran right at me. And um, I don't know. It was just a little like, just, you know... Well, yeah, I mean, so that just adds another layer of anxiety because, so I know how busy it can be in Western Minnesota on opening day for mm -hmm. Pheasant Opener. I've been doing it long enough just to know you got to get out there early, stake out a spot, mm -hmm. and, and just put up with it. Um, so we got out there very early. I knew exactly where I wanted to hunt. It was a walk-in area, uh, not too far out of the border of, of Lacoparle County, so way west. Like, we, we put on some miles. Um and then about 20 minutes before shooting time, which is 9 o'clock in Minnesota, a pickup truck rolls up and then parks about 200 yards away from us. <sighs> and I'm just like, okay, this is publicly accessible land, but still. But yeah. there's etiquette. So, so she's like, can they do that? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> they, 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 they can. can. <laughs> but how about you get out just so we don't lose this spot? I'm, I'm going to drive down there and just, just talk to these guys. And so it was a younger uh, group of guys, and they're actually from like a neighboring uh, property, and they'd grown up hunting this property. It's kind of their tradition to like start out here and then like work their private stuff. And so I, I'm sympathetic to tradition. I get it, but I also kind of laid it on like, guys, this is my wife's first hunt, and like we're gonna be walking right to you. Like imagine that. Like, and, and what hunter's ed do you go through where they're like, okay, now walk towards that orange blob, which is another human being. <laughs> right. yeah. And they're like, uh, yeah, they got, they kind of got a little sheepish. Like they, they realized that, all right, we might be messing up. And so I worked it out. I'm like, you guys, you can hug this fence line, you know, go, go west to east. And then we're going to start here and walk a different way. And then we're going to circle back and then we'll be out of here. Like I just kind of conceded that let us get our pass and, and we'll be on our way. Luckily we didn't have to worry about it, but. As as someone who's bringing in a new hunter, it's one of those scenarios like it's not supposed to be like this. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it, it, so it was fine. It just that like I didn't expect that because when I went out with op for opener, I'd gone out like just take photos the year before. It mm -hmm. wasn't like that, you know. Um, 
So we like walked this swath and um, like pretty good conditions that day. We Bo got hot a couple of times. Like she's kind of a runner, so you gotta kind of trot when she gets hot a little bit. She's nothing like those pointers, but um, we like finally like bird flushes up and like everything was perfect, you know. And I I like pulled the gun up. I could see it. I and there's this moment of pause because I just couldn't tell if it was a hen I just couldn't and I think was it like a late or early hatch or a late hatch that year what it happened? was a later hatch it was a young rooster yeah, yeah just like the colors you know I was expecting to see like the ring that you know just yeah. it wasn't that obvious to me I couldn't really see the tail because it got up straight you know so I don't know I missed I didn't even shoot at it I don't think no you, yeah. you didn't take the shot and I was happy with that because when in doubt <laughs> yeah. don't pull the trigger it's the right and, call. And so, so totally. for me I was like that's what you do that's right you did the exact right thing you know, this is all about, you know, having encounters. That's a chance. We'll take it. Right. You know, like, right. you know the only thing missing is it being in our game bag. We did everything else right. You know, eventually it'll, it'll come through for us. So I was, I was pretty ecstatic about that, actually. Mm-hmm. Totally. To be on the side of caution instead of bird jumps up, shoot it. You're like, oh, hey, that was a robin, you know, yep. just to be just so <laughs> quick on the trigger. <laughs> you'd, you'd much rather be on the other side of that equation. Yeah. Totally. So you can't, you can't take back a bullet. Right. Right. That's right. Can't get it back. Yep. Totally. Cool. Well, the dynamic, you know, I know tonight we wanted to talk and we have been, but just kind of get in a little bit deeper about the dynamic of hunting together as husband and wife uh, and you guys don't only hunt together now, Upland and stuff. You also do these really amazing canoe trips. And we talked to Allie a bit about those previously on the podcast. And so maybe let's get into that a little bit because, um, you know, just to kind of hear, I don't know how, you know, I don't know for the three of us, Joe's also in the room. He's just kind of sitting back, just sipping on a brew and, and, and listening in. But for the three of us guys, you know, our wives get, uh, somewhat into the outdoors, but it's not to the degree that you guys are. So it's interesting for us to kind of hear your perspective and how that works together. You know, because in my mind, a lot of times I'm thinking, oh man, this could be a nightmare situation, you know, uh, with, with Danielle. And we've had, we've done a few things, nothing of like in super intense level, but we're kind of interested to hear how that works with, between you guys and kind of where, Maybe Allie has some expertise or Andrew, you have some expertise and how you kind of mesh those together in, in that. And you guys can talk even a little bit more about hunting or talk a little bit about kind of the extended adventuring that you do too. I definitely was more of like a mentee with canoe camping. Um, and I think something that helps is like, I, again, like if you go back to the hunting analogy, like I had enough skills just from like those few rounds of trap that I had enough confidence to like kind of go into the real situation. And I've had just enough like paddling and camping experience to have enough confidence to, to go into that situation and feel like pretty comfortable. Um, I'm definitely super comfortable being outdoors and all of that, but there were some things that like, you know, you don't know what you don't know that kind of surprised me. Um, like <laughs> the fir- the first thing that was just really shocking to me was like the amount of thought that goes into like packing a bag because as as a backpacker i would always I mean, I pack a bag based on like the biomechanics, like I want the heavy things against the, against my back and like not far from my body and like all of that stuff. And Andrew, like when he's 
when he's packing a canoe pack, it's like a completely different algorithm. And we were both coming at these things. Yeah, I mean, it's an algorithm. And it's the matrix. We were both yeah. coming binary. at I might be Whatever. on the spectrum. I don't know. <laughs> he's not. But <laughs> so you can't fall on that. But um, no, but like it's, it, we both have expertise and we're both right. And the challenge is like, he doesn't, he only knows his way and it makes perfect sense and never like took the time to actually tell me why. Like he never took the time to be like, we have to distribute the weight like this so that the boat rides this way. And then we need access to these things and these things on the bottom have to be low risk if they get wet, you know, sure. like there's like this yeah. algorithm right? and I'm packing all for like ergodynamics. But the moral of this story is like the, the first experience we had you know, we share a bag when we go canoe camping. Okay. So we have lots of bags within bags, but he would like, I would start packing in the morning. Like I'd take down the tent, like pack stuff up and he would just sit and like passive aggressively. It just like mean mug me from across the campsite. <laughs> just like he would just stare and like watch like what's she gonna do now you know and i was so <laughs> befuddled by this like what is your deal and finally i just gave up like i just i like take down the tent like help put it in the stuff sack and then i would walk away just fine it, you do it your way but like if he had it, now i totally get it it took four years of actually like observing and like experiencing different rocker and like um different water conditions to just intuitively know that and he'd been paddling for you know 12 years or i don't know 20 years at this point um over 20 at this point yeah. yeah so like it was intuitive to him but it was not to me as a backpacker if you had just told me like like if if you just take the time to like break it down and explain why there's never an argument you know sure and we probably had like 70 moments of mild tension over that that could have been completely avoided <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, that, that, that's where yeah, yeah. that's pretty high. Yeah. Uh, well, well, These well, are wait, long trips. Wait, you know? yeah. Did you say seven D? Seven D. Wow. I don't know about that. But. We probably spent eight weeks in the Canadian wilderness together at yeah. this point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that that that's a lot of that's packing and unpacking time. and loading and unloading. Yeah. Totally. Um, you know, and 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 hearing her explain this, it, it, it's funny now because it's true, but it also took some time for for me to realize that you have to be humble enough to to realize that you know the attitude of it's just easier if i do it isn't isn't going to uh help anybody in the, yeah. in, the, in the long run yeah and then that's what that the she's getting as when we first started doing that it was just like this frustration of like i'll just take care of it later yeah um and that's where you kind of have to develop the, this patience to not only listen um but also to teach yeah, because um, um, that's where you you really start to see a development in a, in a team dynamic, and that goes beyond just significant others. That goes in group dynamics overall. Um, you know, to stick on the the canoeing aspect, all canoeists are type A a holes. I've never met one who isn't super particular about everything they do <laughs> and how everything should be. And so you 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 get these, you get all these type A's and <laughs> tight quarters, right? <laughs> if you don't have spot on communication, it's, it's going to melt down. Totally. So, so yeah. it forces yeah. you to, to actually take a moment and explain what you're doing, why you're doing it and how we can do it better as a team sure. and then move forward from that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we, we started out doing everything perfectly, mm -hmm. but when you have that much time in a divorce boat, 
You're four feet apart from each other for totally. you know twelve hours a day. Yeah. Like you, it forces you to talk your way through it to think about mm-hmm. okay, that tension we felt back there that wasn't fun. Like, yeah. like what caused that? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know how how can we get beyond that? And it doesn't yeah. happen overnight. Yeah. Like, this is not a Doctor Phil episode. I'm not going to tell you how to fix your yeah, relationship. No, right. Right. <laughs> like, right. But you just have to be self aware and humble. Yeah. yeah like, that's. Like, I was going to say the hum- the humility mm-hmm. piece. Uh, cause I, I'm the same as Chad. He shared this on a podcast and I didn't spill the beans on myself, but we're both, we're both mom adventurers. We want to like, we're like the mother hen of just let me take care of it, honey. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll make breakfast. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you have the right lure on, you know, that kind of thing is just really funny because I'm, I'm the same way. And Chad, you know, shared that on a podcast, but it really starts to come to this point where, by doing that, you also become the frustrated mom because none of the kids are doing anything, but that's because you've taken all the power away from them to do something. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is it is a process though, to let go of the reins a little bit and and make sure that you're teaching somebody the right way to do something. But, at, but letting go of the reins is not an easy thing. Like you say, the type A personality thing and you're super meticulous and for a reason, right? I mean, it's one thing if you guys are going for two or three days. It's another thing when you've spent eight weeks. That's a long time mm-hmm. to be doing that. And and so the longer the duration, the more precise the process has to be. Yeah. And that's just this is how it is. And I know? guess just even being uh, a guy too, and it's it's usually been guy trips for me, and it's introducing other guys that have not really experienced it they don't really care. They just want to be out there. Right. So they don't really want to learn. (laughs) They're, they're okay with just sitting back and having you, having you serve them. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. They're only pissed if they're in the back of the canoe steering for another friend. Totally. That's it. Yeah. But aside from that, Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter to them. They don't want any explanation. So I think maybe that's, the stupid thing about us guys is we have a hard time explaining that mm-hmm. when yeah the communication really, piece yeah. is something that this we is struggle. why yeah well and I think too like as a mentee like something I sh- I could do better like um, when things aren't going well I th- I think that why is equally important like because sometimes there can be misunderstandings like. Um, Last last year, um, for better, I don't know if it was because of this, but like I I had just done a Voyager fifty miler, like, and then we left for a trip like six days later. So like some of my feet, my feet were fine, but like some of my toes were a little tender, and um, like my toenail situation wasn't awesome. But there were times where like at put ins and takeouts, you you paddle. It's Canada. It's not the Boundary Waters. You don't get a nice little sandbar. So right. you paddle up to like a takeout, and I'm the I'm in the front, so I get out first, you know, and I have to pull the boat up, and I'm on like a 45 degree sloping slab of basalt or something, and like my toes are just like ramming against my shoes, and I'm pulling. I'm I can't straight arm a pack and like be in the water either because I'm not Andrew's height. So like for me lifting a pack, like for him, he like bends down with straight arms and he like uses it. He like deadlifts it. 
you know? Sure. For me, it's like, I'm like walking up to a four-wheeler and like trying to pick it up. Yeah. Like my, you know, it's a totally different movement and, and I can portage longer than he can with a 50 pound pack, but like, it's hard sometimes to get that off the ground just because of my height. And like, there's different dynamics and people are feeling different things. And I think it's important to explain like, look, the reason that I'm like, struggling right now is because I have like six toes that are in excruciating pain. So like, be patient with me. You know, this isn't about my skill level. Like I know what I'm doing. Like, I just think sometimes it's important to explain why on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from the get go, I think it's a smart thing to just right off the bat. I know the guy that I work for in Alaska, it was really cool the first year and he does it every time before we leave on a hunt, but we'll have the hunter. We'll all be ready to go. You know, you just hoist your your pack up on your back and you're like, Ugh, you know, h- how long are we going to have to go today? You know, and it's just it's one of those weird things, but he always has everybody put a walking stick in and Dave will say, listen to me, there's no egos. If we walk 50 feet and you feel like you have a hot spot, say something and let's stop and take care of it right mm-hmm. now. You know, mm-hmm. just to, and I feel like that's por- important as the maybe the leader of the group to set that tone for everybody a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because... If not, those things go unsaid, and then we just get mad at each other. Right. It's like, right. what's wrong with you? You know, like, come on, let's go. You know, and and so I think mm-hmm. there's a little bit that we can work on, on probably on both sides of that. You yeah. know, and to be honest and be like, man, my toes are killing me, and this is why th- I'm struggling with this. Right. You know. Right. And it's not, I'm not going to stop, you know, but I'm also not going to be like smiling and jolly in that particular (laughs) moment. I'm not going to be pumped. Like, you know, but as time has gone on too. So like, you know, it's not just Andrew and I on this trip, we're with a team. So Mm -hmm. there's a, there's like dynamics with dynam within dynamics. And I think we've never talked about it officially, but I think that really, um, we operate under sort of the mantra of like the team comes first, like we're a team first. Yeah. And then we go to our tent at night and we're a couple, but like during the day, like you're not just, he's not just filtering water for me. Like he's going to do that for everybody. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just like a collective sort of thing. Um, so that it never, it doesn't, it doesn't put any awkwardness on anyone. You don't feel like there's favoritism or, um, it's just, I think we do a really good job of that too. That's awesome. Yeah. The, the couple dynamic has to disappear. Um, I don't care if you're out hunting with your buddies, which, you know, she likes to come along and I want her to be along for all that just as, you know, we're going on these extended, uh, camping trips with, with my buddies too. Yeah. Um, and the only way that that can really happen is if the, the couple dynamic takes a backseat to the group dynamic. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, like everybody's equal, everybody's on the, on the same you know, playing field. If if somebody doesn't want to finish their their mac and cheese in the backcountry, and it's it's Al who doesn't want to finish it, it doesn't just automatically go to me. You know, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like there there has to be like everybody has to be on, on the same playing field. Otherwise, you, you builds this resentment because yeah. then people can start to create these false narratives of like, oh, those two are just doing their own thing, and that can erode everybody's time. A, yeah, a field. sure. Um, so that's something mm-hmm. that as a couple of doors, you have to be like aware of yeah Um, because if you're not you're kidding yourself because everybody else is going to start seeing you as just like a couple and one thing and instead of the individuals who are bringing something unique to that experience Mm -hmm. one way or another oh that's cool yeah Yeah. that's that makes sense totally what about um i know before we started we talked about maybe some specific stories 
uh, that you guys had that maybe you wanted to share. And we have written, we've got a whiteboard now, just so everybody knows. We've had <laughs> it. Upgrading. And actually, it was Joe's idea a long time ago. Uh, was to put a whiteboard up and set that that'll help keep us on track. But one of the things I'm interested in is num- it's under number two. It says anniversary trips. <laughs> Share a little bit about about that because I feel like if there's gonna be a point of tension, uh, it would be on a special occasion trip. That's like you know we did this for anniversary. So. I'll let Allie like, like, like speak to this because having participated, I know where this is going. Oh boy! But but I I have to I have to say that like we've never been normal when it comes to kind of like what we've done as a couple. Like our honeymoon was spent with two of my best friends in Canada. You, you know, yeah, like, yeah. So we've always done things outdoors. I mean, we took a two day honeymoon, but. It's, uh, yeah, a mini moon, if you will. A mini moon. That. Okay, but so like to back that up with a more adventurous anniversary trip. Some may have gone better than others. That's not outside our, our normal no. scope of what we do. No, I think the conversation was like, okay, and don't get me wrong, I love going to Canada. Like I, I have, yeah, I love it just as much as he does. But I get to kind of like that's sort of his thing. So then I get to like be like, well, you know, for our anniversary, you. uh you owe me. So then I'm picking the anniversary <laughs> trip. So actually, okay. I picked both of these for, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. The first year, um, we did a, a Superior Hiking Trail trip. Like we did a just a, like I think it was two days, two nights, something like that. It was going to be two and a half days, two nights. And we were going to start at like the northern border and work our way down to like Judge Magney State Park. And it was just a section I hadn't really spent time on and neither had he. Yep. So, um, it was, have you, had you backpacked before? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I've taken backpacking trips like out in Montana to go mm-hmm. chase trout and I've done some, some shorter, uh, trips with, with friends, but it had been a long time. You know, yeah. there's only so much time and I, I park myself in a canoe whenever possible now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it'd been a long time since I've spent I've, since I've spent an extended amount of time with weight on my back, you know, and doing nothing but traveling over land. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So he's yeah. a, he's a, <laughs> he, he's a canoe camper. This is where we start. Here we go. <laughs> um, so for, first of all, I made a mistake because like, it's just difficult for me to like understand um, like what would be in like a normal hiking distance. Just, it's just, I mean, you're an ultra runner. I'm an ultra runner and I've been doing this for so many years that I just like, uh, for me, like a short, like a normal run is like 16 miles or something. So, um, it's not, I, it, to me then like walking 20 seems really reasonable, you know, even with some pack weight. So, um, we, I was thought we were setting ourselves up for success with a plan to do like 15 to 17 ish the first day. And then like another 15 to 16, the second day, you know, and that was sort of going to be it for this, this trip. I guess that was probably biting off a little bit much, mostly because we didn't factor in, um, like that we'd be getting up there kind of late, you know, usually you're starting at six or 7am and we didn't get up to the the overlook till like 10. Okay. So we were already kind of, uh, you know, we made some, I made some mistakes logistically with that. Um, but you know, the night before we started, we were up in silver Bay at a house we stay at and we had our packs, right. And we're just like making some final adjustments and um, 
I had kind of looked at the map and I was going to carry like one Nalgene, you know, just because there's lots of water. It's the North Shore. And Andrew's like pack. I mean, I walked over and I was I like grabbed it with one arm and I was like, oh, like I couldn't lift it. I was like, what is this? Like you have bowling balls in here. Like it was like like a whole elk in there, you know, and um, and he's like. He's, he got a little defensive, like he bristled a little and like, I was like, really, what do you have in there? And he's kind of like, oh, and he like starts unpacking a few things. And there was like, there was some canoe things. Like Andrew likes to have everything in kits, which makes total sense when you're canoe camping. But he had like a kit of like cord that we, would it's like lining ropes that we would use like for canoeing. Who camps and it, without rope? <laughs> and it, but it's like for stringing up a bear bag. I mean, I use like those tent tensioners, you know what I mean? Like I use like, you don't need a lot of rope, but he had like a whole like dry bag that was made of heavy material and then like all this rope and it probably weighed like three pounds, you know? So he had all this stuff in there and I kind of started giving him a hard time and he, he got a little frustrated and he goes, whatever, Allie, I'm stronger than you. And so I was like, okay. And then I just dropped it. It's like, maybe he's right. Like, well, we had, we had two very differing views of this anniversary trip, okay? So she had an uh, like a custom ultralight, like fast packing backpack, like made of spider silk or something stupid. Like that. You know? And so she's got one little Cuban Nalgene that it like is, yes. packs down to, to nothing and and so that that's Back her mentality, made right? Or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Things are useless. And, and, and <laughs> I I look at this trip as like, oh, it's only two nights. Like that's nothing. I can bring whatever I want. <laughs> like yeah. party. Right. So right. I'm bringing a camp chair. I'm bringing uh, liters of wine. I'm bringing cordage. Uh, like I'm bringing a saw. Like I'm out here to have an anniversary trip. But, like yeah. who cares Heck if the yeah. pack weighs seventy pounds? Yeah. Because it's only you know a, a two night trip. Yeah. So like I wasn't looking at the distance or the elevation again because I'm not as you know road on that stuff. That's just not how my brain works. Yeah. I was just looking at nights. How many nights? I'm used to planning. I have spreadsheets that are broken down in terms of what I need based on how many nights I'm in the backcountry. Yeah. It's not like her pace charts, which are what's the elevation gain and drop, and you know how fast are we going to be moving and what's the distance. Yeah. So it's like two totally different brains, and yeah, I'm I'm pretty strong. <laughs> so, so the next you see what i'm doing with here so this Let's is what in the business it. we call a therapeutic fall because if you you just let someone kind of gently suffer that sometimes that's a more powerful learning experience and so i let go of control in this in this particular instance and that's exactly what happened so i think we are at like well the second thing is he only brought like it, we we start hiking and it's like mile eight or something and we're at the high point of the trail and he only brought like summer sausage and nuts like he brought protein and like a little bit of fat and then more protein and so he I would say I'm like keto but I'm not it's just what he's not sweets guy so like he had like no quick burning sugars like he you know mile eight you're up at the high point and then there's like a pretty long descent and he didn't have hiking poles that's the other thing is like we talked about trekking poles and I have always made okay I'm sorry but I've always made fun of trekking poles because I'm the kind of ultra runner that runs like 50 mile distances and less and really I just believe from 50 miles on down you do not need poles you're just in other people's way and like get off the trail you know yeah. unless you have like a legitimate balance issue or something and so um he was like well I didn't think I needed them and we talked about it I don't know 
I don't know what happened there. I'm cheap. I just didn't want to buy him. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, so now he's going on this like two mile descent with like a 60 pound, it, I don't know, probably 50 pound pack, like just doing like the slow squats down the hill. And like by the end of it, the wheels were already falling off. I think we we're like nine miles deep at that point. Yeah. I, we made it to 16 though. Yeah. Downhill though is a bad situation oh, with yeah. heavy weight on your back. Always. I'd rather go uphill. Mm-hmm. In the moment when I'm breathing hard and my lungs are dying, I'm like, ugh, wish mm-hmm. I was going downhill until I start doing that. No. And then yeah. I'm like, ugh. That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was going. Yeah. So I yeah, yeah. I get that. That's a that's that's intense. Yeah. But that's also where I realized I'd been set up. Uh, it's a trap. Yeah, it was totally a trap. It's a trap. It's like, wait a second. She knew this was gonna happen. She knew where we were going. Yeah, yeah. She did this to me, but I didn't want to let her let on that I knew that. So I didn't want to complain. I, I just didn't want to accept help. You know, she's off. Like she can see me struggling. Like my pace is completely backed off, and I'm just yeah. doing my best to to keep up with her. And she's pretty quick. And uh, no, she's offering me what, like ibuprofen or something. Well, so here's or... the thing: like when you're in a death march, like when you're actually in that there it is. central nervous system fatigue, where you are, you know when you're in a death march. Like Joe's not. Glad you admit head. that it was a death march. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're in it, like you feel like your output is so high, like you feel like you're trying so hard. But you're when I'm looking at the watch, like not in a death march, you're doing like a 45 minute mile. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like I'm looking at the daylight and it's waning and we haven't found camp yet. And I'm just like, holy cow, like how can I crack the whip on this, you know? And so I'm offering him like sugar and ibuprofen, which at this point that will just bring down inflammation. Like caffeine will help your muscles take in the sugar. I'm like giving you these things to try to help you as a mentor but he's like feeling like he messed up and he's like shaming himself and refusing to accept help. So kind of being a bad mentee. So is this like the shame walk? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. This, was the wa- this is the backcountry walk of shame. Yeah. yeah. You can't hide it. So at one point I turn around and I'm like, look, we're about to pass the Arrowhead Trail. Oh, like, no. do I need to call the 75-year-old woman that gave us a ride here? Like, do I need to do it? And he's like, no, no, like, we can do it or whatever. And so I, like, put on some Gordon Lightfoot on the speaker that Andrew brought. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just for a morale booster. Gordon is my siren song. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. Gordon makes everything better. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, so, we made it into the camp. We had a good time. Mm-hmm. Met another camper there. Mm-hmm. Made it to the next morning. So the next morning, <laughs> there's a. I went down to to filter water, and it was terrible water source, and just it was just like a lot of work actually, and um, was trying to make enough for like breakfast and to fill both of our Nalgene's and it, making multiple trips to do that. And um, as I'm being a pile, <laughs> he was he was stuck in the tent, like just destroyed. I think he felt like he got hit by a truck, and. Um, And there was this horrible front moving in. Like, you couldn't see it from the tent, but you could from the water. And I'm just watching this big black cloud coming up on us because this is July, you know. And just, I finally go up there. I'm like, look, we have, like, 20 minutes to break camp and get everything buttoned up. Like, you know, so I need your help. You got to get up. And, yeah, so... So and I started this boiling is our water. Anniversary. Yeah, so I started boiling water. I was gonna be, you know, a loving husband and, and put the boiling water in her sack of freeze dried food, you know, like any good husband. <laughs> Which we don't normally eat freeze dried food. Uh, this is just a That's why I brought summer sausage and nuts. Hello. Um, but if I would have stuck to that plan, this would have been okay. But what happened was since I was so bonked, I was holding the bag, the mountain house bag in one hand and the jet boil in the other. 
instead of just putting it down like on the ground and being, you know, what every good boy scout is taught, just be safe. I was just holding it and I poured it and the lid flipped oh, off the jet boil no. and just scorched up my entire hand and arm. And just like Dang it. Just completely scorched <laughs> me out. And like so that freaked me out a little bit. And then I tried to like brush it off like Again, my ego hasn't left me yet, <laughs> so I'm still learning. And she just demands me, like, you need to get down in that creek. You need to hold your arm underwater for at least 30 minutes before we do anything. Um, and so once I made, you know, that that bonked out move, that's where we decided that I'd ruined that anniversary trip. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we got on we got on the, the inReach, and we, we texted our, our, our shuttle. And the real kick to the junk mm. about all of this <laughs> – is as we we're being dropped off by the same shuttle service to start our hike, we were almost like, well, we were making fun of yeah. people that had to get picked up early. Dang like, it! We were yeah. asking, Dang we it. were asking for the <laughs> stories of like, so how many people like bail early? Like, who does that? Like, yeah. give me some good yeah. stories. What like, losers, yeah, <laughs> like, who does that? <laughs> yeah. Less than twenty four hours. Like, we're Dang on the inReach. Like. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So, here's my GPS point. Did you come find me? <laughs> oh, man. Crazy. Yeah. But then, uh. you know what? It was a terrible storm. It was like a flash flood. And we went and had the most amazing brunch at the Nanabuju Lodge. If Fantastic you're ever Sunday brunch. Sunday. Oh, yeah. oh, it's amazing. What's the name of it? The Nanabuju. It's like... Nanabuju. It's north of Grand Marais, probably like seven miles. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah cool. It's, it's, it's worth it. It's one of the best brunches in the state. Awesome. Sundays only. All right. Yeah. So there was awesome. some redemption there. Yeah. So cool. that was that was that was trip one. That That's was that, great. that was the fall of Andrew. Yeah. Uh, that that was my downcoming. That but is wait, that wait. is where my Here ego is. Phoenix story. That that is that is where I was kind of put in my place, and I learned to be patient and to listen and to learn. And you sure. know, we all need these these moments. We do. And, and so yeah. again, for for our anniversary trip the following year, she has enough faith in me as a human being not to mess up twice. Um, so she's like, this year we're going to hike uh, um, all of Isle Royale from the northeast to the southwest. Uh, we flew in, and then uh, we were going to fly out, and we gave ourselves two and a half days to get it done. Mm -hmm. um, so that's roughly 50 miles, 47 mm -hmm. and change, something like that. Um, so again, like it's not unreasonable, um, but for someone who's not a huge backpacker, um, it's it's an aggressive day. Um so I did a little bit of training for that. I, I got prepared knowing that if I wasn't able to keep my chops and wits about me, that might be, we, there might not be a third anniversary hiking trip. <laughs> um, this might be it. So I, I defaulted to her um, in terms of the weight and all the gear we were bringing. And I weighed both our packs. They both weighed in at 34 pounds without water. Nice. Um, so I, I was pretty happy with that. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't to the point where I'm sawing off the bottom of my, my toothbrushes or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm not super crazy when it comes to weight. But a bit more respectful. That's for sheep hunts. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I'm not quite there. Um, so I, I think the combination of less weight, and I actually took the time to break down uh, what I was going to eat throughout the day. And I mm -hmm. had a mix of carbs, sugars, and proteins nice. um, all laid out and kind of knew I had to finish this in one day. If I didn't, I wasn't eating enough. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's just kind of how I mentally checked myself to be a pleasant person instead of being hangry. Because when you're yep. in the middle of nowhere, you can't just dehungerize with a snicker, right? So you actually need to have the stuff packed and, 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 and with you. That right? commercial's bullcrap. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's great when there's a store down the street. But yeah, <laughs> where, yeah. where is that now? Right. 
Um, so I, I, I like to report that, that the second trip went off with, with without a hitch in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I was, nice. It was, it was a good uh, redemption song for me, and good. I'm looking forward to, to next year and hopefully we can continue on from there. Yeah, it went it went super well. And the last day was like 22 miles too, which is a, hi- a hike, but wow. like pretty much downhill, like really. And those trails are so well-maintained. They're not very rugged, you know. Um, oh, it was, it was gorgeous. Yeah. It was, it was oh, an easy amazing. trail. I mean, people always take the spear hiking trail for granted in terms of its difficulty. I just feel like people come from out West expecting like a little Midwest roly poly type of experience and the elevation drop and gain. And that is no joke. So to compare Isle Royal to that, it was, it was a, I want to say a cakewalk, mm-hmm. but yeah. it was, it was a lot more manageable and something that I definitely suggest um, other people give a crack and yeah. maybe do that one totally. first. Yeah, you although, know, if you're trying to set up your mentee with a better opportunity to succeed, <laughs> maybe start with that one. <laughs> well, you should have known. But no, but the, we did have one little hiccup on Isle Royale. There was like there was a point where we got delayed for like twenty five minutes because Andrew like ran like walked into the middle of a moose fraternity party. Like I, I, feel, I felt at home. Yeah, yeah. Like we, so we did have one argument on Isle Royal. It wasn't like a heated one, but like we're hiking up on the Greens. We just had hooked up with the Greenstone Trail because we started on a different one and um, had taken like Indian Portage or something. And uh, we both like Andrew freezes and he looks ahead and there's a moose like. 20 yards ahead like a big bull moose and we both are looking at it and they're like they're just so busy eating you know um so he's like eating his way to the left and maybe the right and he's just very engrossed in like these young aspen trees and then we like started arguing because we're you know we're we're waiting and they're pretty they're not scared of you you know so we're trying to figure out like where you know Andrew's like he went right and I'm like no he went left like I can like he's behind that tree and Andrew's like no he's over there behind that tree but we were looking at like two different bull moose we were both right one of those rare instances (laughs) a couple of them where you're both right (laughs) and then like a third one wanders in you know so it's like we're in the middle of all these like massive bull moose and uh, I don't know. Eventually, Andrew decided, like, I wanted to wait. I was scared. And he's like, no, we just need to go. Like, you know, what like, time go. of year? Uh, so July. July yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They didn't have much interest they were, in they it. Were, yeah, but they were still, yeah, they're yeah, just they're, so big. They're like, huge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Andrew kind of walked out there and then saw the third. And then, I don't know, he scuttled behind a tree and... We got separated for a bit, but it all worked out. Here we are. <laughs> Here it worked we out. Are. We it prob- made it. It probably wasn't worth it, but it, it worked out. Yeah. And it's just kind of one of those those moments where it's like, well, I probably shouldn't have done that. But <laughs> again, we were learning together here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So That's do, awesome. On that trip, I guess, and maybe on the your your first trip, do you carry bear spray at all? Mm-mm. I know on Isle Royale, there are... Well, I'm assuming there, there, there are bear. no bears on, on Isle yeah. Royale. No. They only the have only... the, the wolves and the moose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess was there ever a concern? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I almost got run over by a little black bear during this period of 50 mile last year or two, yeah, two years ago. But um, it was just a little guy. I mean, he was running away and it just so happened he crossed like 10 feet in front of me. But uh, other than that, I've never seen a black bear on the Spirit Trail. Okay. And, thousands of miles you know so i feel like that is a thoroughfare and they i know i'm sure moose walk it um i've had friends that have seen moose on it and i've seen moose right off of onion river road but like bear it's you see them kind of up by lutes and mountains and um i haven't seen them otherwise okay but but in general when it comes to stuff Mm -hmm. like that 
if having that along, even if it seems completely pointless in your mind, mm-hmm. makes your significant other or anybody in the group yes. feel comfortable, let them do it. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't, don't, don't even fight it because I, yep. again, I, I, yeah. made, I made a mistake where when we were packing for one of our Canada trips, mm-hmm. sometimes crossing the border with that type of contraband can open up further inspection and all that stuff and delay the process right. of crossing really? the border. <laughs> it's just funny. No, no, no. We've, we've clarified it now, but okay. when you cross the border, they ask... Do you have any like firearms, whatever, in bear spray yeah. or bear spray or pepper sp- or mace? Yeah. And the thing is, is mace is not allowed, but bear spray is. And we know now from other f- other friends who are more experienced at this that like they just want to be sure you actually have bear spray. So you might have to sure. show it like you should have it in the like yeah. in the cabin of your vehicle or whatever. Um, and that's why they ask. But for the first three years, like we didn't know. And so we kind of thought. Well, we could always buy it in Thunder Bay, but it turns out it's like hard to find there, you know. Hmm. So we never took no, we never took bear spray. But we, yeah, we have started taking a bear horn though. That's because mm-hmm. really, yeah. So I'm a heavy sleeper, and like one of her biggest fears is like just waking up alone and just not being able to like get me to move fast enough to make a move. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, and, and our tents aren't always super close together, depending on the site. Yeah. So. If we're with other groups, mm-hmm. like there might be some distance okay. between us. Right. So it's actually like the bear horn just to kind of shock them into like realizing, Oh man, there's, there's other people here. Maybe I should back off. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that we've actually started packing cause they take up zero space and mm-hmm. just keep it above you in the tent. And it, again, if it adds a sense of security and allows someone to feel more at ease in the outdoors, mm-hmm. don't, don't fight it. Cause, right. Cause again, right. that's where all of us type A's kind of come into like, well, you don't need that. Like we're like, right. and like the next thing that almost came out of my mouth there was what are you doing? And that's something Allie's taught me in terms of that phrase, <laughs> that phrase, what are you doing? Like in kind of that condescending tone yeah, is probably the most abrasive phrase yep. you can say to someone who's, <laughs> who's just learning something sure. or maybe isn't comfortable with it because it implies that they're an idiot and, they, and it implies that they don't know what they're doing, but you're failing to recognize that they're not in a spot to know. Like, totally. how, how, like yeah. how should I know? Right. And so they get defensive, you're agitated. So anytime like with your significant other or a partner, you just find yourself almost to go like, dude, what are you doing? Like just mm-hmm. stop yourself for a second and think, is there something I can explain here? Or like ask them like, what's, what's going on? Like in a pleasant way, like, mm-hmm. is there yeah. something I can help with? Or here, why don't you try this? But yep. right. the second, what are you doing? Comes right. out of your mouth. <laughs> you'll get a look it's like you right. would yeah. yeah. like, basically, really? any, <laughs> basically anytime you're in a moment of tension, like you're trying to negotiate a rapid or a, a lining situation. And like, there's a person in front with a vantage and a person in back with a vantage. You should never ask a question. Like anything that comes out of your mouth should be directive communication. Like, I'm going this way, you do that. Like for, for either for either person, you know, because yeah, anything that starts with a question word in a moment like that is like a swear word. Yeah. It's just like bound to start it's right. like throwing you know, fuel on the fire. Was that kind of I guess going back to the bear spray, the mm-hmm. the rationale was it's it's not rut season, mm-hmm. but you need to get from point A to point B and you gotta get around these large beasts Mm -hmm. and granted they're probably you're probably safe around them but Mm -hmm. there's a sense of anxiety Mm -hmm. um so did you have that i guess direct communication because Mm -hmm. obviously well it sounded like you kind of split up a little bit yeah so um i was like pro bear spray for canada okay and when i go on boundary waters hikes 
like I do them without Andrew. I bring bear spray and it's as much for like a potential creepy human as a bear, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I just feel so yeah, much more work. secure. Yeah. And <laughs> it would work. I don't really worry much about them on the trail, but more of like if, if in Canada we can't string up food because the trees just aren't, they don't bear that much weight. Um, cause sure. it's kind of like a taiga transitional zone and we have barrels and we take a lot of precautions and we keep a very clean campsite. Um, and there's not a lot of like footprint. So bears aren't habitually like checking campsites like they would in the boundary waters. There are no campsites right. to check. However, right. Right. if one were to wander upon your campsite and get into your food, like I like the idea of having a plan, you know, because, um, the, to be frank, like the Ontario bears are a little bit bigger. They don't know humans as much. So like we've had some that they sniff you across the lake and they're off, they're leaving, they're getting out of there. And we've had others that run toward us when we're canoeing by to get like a smell because they just don't know what we are and they're curious. So it depends too if they're defending a food store or whatever. So I have been pro bear spray, but I've never brought it mostly because like uh, there was concern for like, is this going to mess up like our timing with the border crossing and having to hit a train later and all that. So we decided on like a middle ground. Really, my, my he's right. Like my fear is that I'm a light sleeper. I'm going to hear something rustling around and like Nate and Brady and Andrew are not light sleepers. So like I have yelled at him before in the night and he'll just be like, it's fine. He talks to me in his sleep. So <laughs> it's, true. it's, it's fine. He, always, he always says it's fine. It's really funny. So I'm so sure it's I, really uh, funny in the moment too. Yeah, and, and, it's fine. And the other thing about, about Canada is like there aren't rocks. Like, we're lucky to find rocks just to stake our tent stone. There aren't rocks. There's not, like, sticks laying around your camp. You know, what are you going to do, right? Because yeah. you want to be able to, like, show a force, make some noise, and, like, throw stuff. So we did. We communicated about it and just decided on, like, well, a horn is going to for sure wake everybody up. And then, you know, let's all just have something, like, that we can, like, throw at a bear or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and try to spook it off. But Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting because it, I think it was – Gosh, it wasn't it wasn't that far back. A lady got attacked by a bear on Rainy Lake. Mm -hmm. Did you guys yeah. hear about that? Yeah, she, she got died. killed. Yeah. Um, you know, and so yeah, it's just one of those things that there it's some of those things aren't anything to mess around with. And like you say, the moment I always feel like this, the moment I tell somebody not to do something that they feel like will protect them, mm -hmm. I feel like it's just some crazy thing that that's the time or the trip when it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Like if yeah. I tell somebody, "Don't bring bear spray, you don't need that." Then when we go, a bear's going to come in and not go away and maul somebody. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to feel like the worst person for the rest of my life. You know, if it's not me, hopefully it's me at that point. Right. You know, it's just one of those weird things that you just, I think, Andrew, you're completely right, is don't ever tell someone not to do something that they feel comfortable with you know, within reason, mm -hmm, you know, you're not right. bringing a machine gun. Right. You know, it's like I one of my Boundary Waters trips I went on with, with – um, a friend of mine, he asked me if I would bring a pistol with because of wolves. And <clears throat> it's one of those things where it, the, the other thing too is when people just don't know, mm -hmm. they don't know and they don't, they've been misinformed and they just don't know. And, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, well, firearms are allowed. Um, I told him, you know, I don't think we really need to do that. But he was adamant, like, I don't want to go if we don't have it. I'm like, okay. You know, and yeah. it was one of those things where it's like, well, if he's going to feel comfortable now, he looks back and he's like, why did I ever tell you to do that? That was so stupid, you know? Yep. But if I would have said, if I'd have been really stubborn and be like, no, dude, 
he might not have ever come. Mm -hmm. And then now he's not having these amazing trips each year that we go. Right, right. You know? It's true. So, yeah, it's it's just something that I think I think we all we all have such different levels of experience and understanding that we need to sometimes take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. And the more seems like this, the more experienced you get, if you're not careful, the more removed you become from an inexperienced perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Completely. like like you don't have you don't think about the things that inexperienced people think about. Those are those are things that are second nature to your way, and you you kind of lose track of that a little bit so much that you're just so removed from it. And something that we all need to think about as we progress in the things we love. Maybe that's you know? why we should always be mentoring someone. Totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Keep us true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's true. Crazy. Um, so I know that we kind of talked about packing quite a bit, but um, there was one of our points was the the healthy redundancy versus overpacking. So do you want to, I guess, shed a little bit more light on that? Yeah. Um, I guess it's just it's something we've taken, we've drilled down over a four-year period with not just us, but our whole team. And, um, and just as a quick sidebar, like one advantage to bringing – your spouse potentially would be that like our stuff really complements each other. Like Andrew's sure. shoes weigh like 10 pounds, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like really big. And so I can pack like my shoes and like two shirts in that amount of space. So like it actually works really well for us to share a pack. It evens um, out. It yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, but um, yeah, I think we talk a lot about like, we're very conscious of like, what is a luxury item? We each get one. You know, so your luxury item might be like a small Bluetooth speaker or like one guy brought a ukulele one year, but that's kind of wow. an outlier. No, and nobody said no, because again, like if you get one item and you it's going to make it. you happy and yeah. you're going to deal with it, who mm -hmm. am I to like steal that from you? Totally. Yep. yep. Right. Yep. So it's right. Ukulele. You're lugging, <laughs> lugging around a ukulele. Sweet. And guess what? They dumped in a set of class three, but he yeah. kept that ukulele dry. He did. He did. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Crazy. So, That's a good rule. The yeah. one leisure or item. Yeah. One yeah. luxury item. Luxury. But yeah. you have to deal with it. If one hundred percent, nobody yeah, else totally. needs to ever it's touch your it. responsibility. It's, it's yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think the healthy redundancy mostly comes from like um, when you're traveling with like a pa like two pairs too. Like um, it's just thinking about having like if one boat dumps, you're making sure you have maybe like. Two inreaches might be overkill for some groups. We have two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it might be good to spread some of the food out over there. So yeah. if something happens, yeah. you still have some food. You know, so having um, redundancy in the methodology and then also like a little bit of emergency food if you like your bush plane can't get in or, um, you know, just or if, you know, sometimes we just were hungry because we had some like really tough days and we just needed more fuel and. I guess that kind of thing you never regret, right? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, when it, when it comes to redundancy in itself, I, I like to break things down as like teams within teams. Um, so a lot of times like you're, you're in a group of four, a group of six, and then you separate that into two teams and you separate all the gear so that if half of you had to evac, the, the other half of you could get back or sure. continue on with your trip one way or another. You might yeah. not be comfortable, but you could still make it work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying you need to bring you know, two MSR dragonflies everywhere you go. But if you have one dragonfly and maybe one pocket rocket or, you know, like 
basically my luxury items. I love jet boils, even though it scarred me, right? Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. When it, comes, when it comes to making my coffee in the morning and just like, I, I just, that's my thing. I love it. But I can also take that apart and use it as a stove. Yeah. Um, right. So having that yeah. plus a, a dragon fly, that's our redundancy there. When it sure. comes to the safety aspect and, and our, our first aid kit, mm-hmm. I don't need two first aid kits the size of a backpack. Okay. If, it, if you're going that, if it's going that bad, just you're done. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay? Right. But, right. But at least have, you know, two mini, two mini first aid packs within two different groups. And if, mm-hmm. even if it's just Allie and I, like we, we try to pack as though one of us wasn't there. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And yeah. we're, we're able to do that on our Isle Royal trip and still manage 34 pounds a pack. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it all comes down to, to safety and being able to continue on. You know, we don't need you know, two different bug shelters. You know, it's, it's, it's being logical while being respectful of the fact that things can go wrong and things do go wrong. Right. Things yeah. break. Yeah. At, like, at, one point, like, at what point is your, your stove going to get clogged? Yeah. Like, it's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At some right? point. Like, yeah. So it's like... What gear do you have that you can survive without and never need? And what gear do you have that if something were to go wrong with that, mm-hmm. you'd be SOL? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. then find a mini backup version to have along. Like, that's right. kind of how we look at it. Yeah. Well, like, basically, clothes are the, I mean, clothes are not important except layers are, right? So if you have, like, one of every type of layer, like, that's more important. Or, like... Having like the different layers are important, but you don't need like three of the same base layer. Right? Sure, yep. you right. really don't. Like you right. can wash stuff out there. Yeah. So, um, and we do like, so you're better off sacrificing like clothes and that kind of stuff for like a second stove pump, like a second white gas pump, you know? Yeah. Or yeah. something like that. And yeah. I think now after four years, we every year actually we end up bringing slightly less, which is ironic. But you guys are getting better and better yeah. every. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how it's been for me in Alaska. Mm-hmm. It's you get to the point where. And I think for some of this, there is a, there's just always going to be a little bit of a learning curve because nobody ever really arrives where you're like, okay, I'm perfect every time. Because mm-hmm. as we know, you're in a very, very imperfect situation many times a day, and you have to try to figure it out. And gear just sometimes just doesn't hold up to all those imperfections and situations. So I think I think it's really cool that you guys... That's that's cool to hear that each year you bring a little bit less because you're figuring out like, oh, this has dual purpose for this or we don't really need this or we definitely need this. It, it's cool to hear about that. Well, it, it's, it's, it's water, food, shelter. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so shelter can be removed in some cases and then it's just water, food. Yeah. You know, and I go back to water. Right. So I've been on Boundary Waters duck hunts where we've completely blown out all of our pumps and we had three pumps because we were on a wild rice lake mm, yeah luckily we had some tabs yeah right, <laughs> right. otherwise right. we, we would have been going home yeah you know so are you gonna have a pump and a steri stick like how like yeah right like, what are you gonna do to continue right. to drink like, right that's where redundancy becomes important totally mm-hmm. cool well man you guys are super fun to have on and we're gonna we definitely before we even started we talked about you know having you guys on is more it's gonna kind of have to be like a series we had Allie, now both of you that's just been really cool you guys are really interesting to talk to and just to glean in, uh, information from to hear about what you guys are doing it's been hilarious too i think we've laughed the most on this <laughs> yeah. podcast out of any of them that we've had um but yeah, we're coming up on time and I, I just wanted to say thank you. I know from all of us, thanks for joining us tonight and and we definitely will 
we'll schedule a time to have you guys back on again as we kind of continue to break down all the super cool adventuring and things that you guys have knowledge in. You know, we need to, we need more time than what we can do in like a few hours. So if you guys are into coming back on, we'd love to have you back on in the future. We're well. in the heart of fall right now. So we got a lot of more adventuring to do before, you know, <laughs> we transition to winter camping and all that stuff. So yeah. there's plenty of opportunities for, for me to mess up and learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll second that. Totally. Totally. Well, Allie and Andrew, it's been a pleasure and yeah, we'll definitely you. do it again. And listeners, um, just, just a reminder, we want to hear some feedback from you guys and, just kind of what you're looking to hear about. Our goal with Contact Outdoors is always, you know, we talk about conservation, we talk about public land, hunting, backpacking, you know, ultra running, all the things that get us outdoors. And we want to hear some of your stories and we want to hear some feedback from, you know, some of these episodes that we're doing with these guests, especially. And, you know, you hear enough from myself, Joe, Chad, Jeff, Cody, you hear enough from us, but it's these episodes, I think, that are that are really meaningful. So for sure, yeah. Oh, and uh, social plugs too. We, yeah, uh, you guys. Where can people find you guys yeah. on social media? Um, my, or or you don't have to do that yeah, too. No, yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Ally Runs Wild. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I'm a, I'm a public account too. I got nothing to hide. Uh, cool. <laughs> uh, AJ Vavra uh, is where you can find me and bounce some ideas off in terms of how I can do a better job in terms of ment- <laughs> mentoring people and, and then learning how to yeah. cruise through the, the land with a backpack. Andrew will get like 108 messages after this episode or something, but no, totally. Um, yeah. So, and we'll put those in the show notes too yeah. on iTunes and, and wherever you get your podcast, you'll be able to kind of check these guys out and see what they have going on. Definitely follow them because they've got some really neat you know, storytelling abilities, and especially through just pictures on Instagram. It's cool to see what you guys are up to. So thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys yeah, thank you. very much. Yeah. All right, guys, till next time. We'll see you later. The Contact Outdoors crew would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners. The Backcountry Dreaming podcast is brought to you by Contact Outdoors and directed by Brian Holberg. Original music and audio production by Dakota Rankin. Connect with us online. Links to our website, Instagram, and Facebook can be found in the show notes.